Church family, I'm so honored to come to you this way. I know it's only audio and not video, but hey, I I don't even want to see me that much. So um, (laughs) thanks for tuning in. Psalm 42 is where we'll be this morning. Maybe you're doing this on the Sunday morning worship with your family on that uh, March the 22nd when we would normally be gathered in that beautiful sanctuary of Grace Covenant Church in the heart of South End Charlotte. And maybe you're listening to this at a later time. Well, the reason I'm recording it at my desk, in case it is at a later time, is because we're in the midst of that historic COVID-19 response. And right now, as of today, gatherings of 50 more have been officially banned, 50 or more. And then we have a directive, a guideline from the White House Task Force to avoid, if at all possible, gatherings of 10 or more. And I read a report that said 10 because 10 is better than 20, but 5 is better than 10. So so we're trying our best to stem the tide of this. So I don't know if you're listening to this at a later date, it would be interesting to see how this plays. But here's something I know. Psalm 42 is timeless. By the sons of Korah, it was written, not necessarily authored by them, but done in their presence, and then kind of made into a masculine of theirs is kind of what some Bible scholars are telling us about the text. But uh, it's a beautiful psalm that really anchors us uh, to the Lord. I've read this psalm at different points in my life, and it's had different weights and different meanings. And for those of you who've been at Grace Covenant a while, and for the handful of you that remember my first time here, and for the two of you that actually remember what I preached, you'll remember I preached this text, Psalm 42. And uh, this was not a case of, oh, let me just go back and grab something. This was a case of something came back and grabbed me. The Holy Spirit just tethered me and, and in essence, kind of weighted me down, constrained is the best word I know to use, while I was studying and prepping for the other text from Hebrews 11 for this Sunday. I just couldn't shake Psalm 42. So, there's enough setup. Psalm 42, let's get into it. I just wanted you to hear my heart as to why we're in it again. It feels like we were just here. And for those of you that didn't hear the message or don't remember, hey, it'll be fresh for us. I do think it's still very fresh for today. I'm going to read the whole psalm. You don't have to stand, of course, but I'd love for you, if you have your Bibles there, to read along with me. Maybe even read out loud as a family if you're gathered for a family time of worship. Let's read Psalm 42 from the ESV together. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him my salvation, and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is within me. A prayer to the life or, sorry, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here it is. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What a powerful psalm. Even as we were reading through it, you could probably sense some immediate application and parallel to some of the things that we're going through. Just cursory notes before we dive in too deep. My soul thirsts for God. Does it? Does my soul thirst for God more than it thirsts for normal? As the deer pants for the flowing stream, am I quickened by the thought of being in God's presence? Am I able to get into God's presence without being able to gather with the people of God? That's a challenging question that we're experiencing together. How about this? Uh, I remember as I pour out my soul when I was with them, leading them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, I don't know that you describe Grace Covenant Church as a multitude, but but you kind of would. It's a, it's a larger gathering. Uh, seven of the nine Sundays that we were able to gather this year, we were at or above 100 people gathering. That's that's a good indication of what the Lord's doing in our midst. We're growing and we're excited about that. But those are memories right now. We've not gathered in two weeks. And uh, I remember those things. I said it on the video. YouTube and, and virtual worship service elements are a poor substitute. And they're not a substitute for gathering together. They're a great supplement, a great addition, but for right now, they're having to suffice. So we pray for an end to the pandemic so that people's health won't be in jeopardy, certainly, but also because we long to be together. When two or three are gathered in Christ's name, He's in the midst. It's Christ that knits us together. He's that common bond that pulls us together from all different walks of life, socioeconomic statuses and ethnicities and generational divides that normally we wouldn't gather in public like that. Introverts, extroverts, all of us gathered together because of Jesus. Why are you cast down on my soul? This isn't triumphalism. This isn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This isn't uh, let's go get them and make sure we're smiling all the time and ignoring the threats. No, that's not what this is at all. This is making sure that we are caring for our souls. We should anchor our hope in God, not in government systems, although we pray for them and are thankful that they can leverage the strength and wisdom of the many to, to benefit the masses. We're grateful for that. We want to put our hope in God because our salvation is in the Lord. When we're tempted to go into mourning because of the oppression, this would say of the enemy, I would say that uh, we could even insert of sickness or the brokenness of this world. I'm looking and thinking about verses 9 and 10. We could say, where is God? Does he not see any of this? One of our church members posted on Facebook, just shared that uh, the service, our gathering had been canceled and that um, we were meeting virtually. And somebody, some, forgive me, troll lit it up and said, well, where's your faith? Uh, My wife was reporting this to me and was so encouraged by a member's response. She responded gently and lovingly, but uh, truthfully. Most people that make those little snide comments aren't really interested in our responses. They're just trying to insult and cast stones and do Jesus jukes. 
Uh, it's a phrase I'm learning where people want to one-up you with the fact that they're just a little bit more spiritual than you. Oh, you canceled services? We didn't because we trust God. Well, <laughs> those are the kind of people who want to say, touch them, Lord, and use my hand. Um, moving on. But I was so impressed with her response. But, I, but I'll say this. I, I, I could have chimed in if I'd have been present in the moment and said, our faith is where it's always been. Our hope is in the God of our salvation. But we love our neighbor more than ourselves. So we're choosing to do our part for society to help stem the tide of uh, this incredible historic uh, pandemic outbreak. I wonder, too, if a few weeks from now, the person would reconsider. I saw a pastor post just the other day, hey, remember when I asked this question? He had put a question out to his congregation or to those following him on social media. He's a friend of mine. I love him. And uh, it was a great question. He said, do you believe this is worth all the hype or is this just a hoax? <laughs> and just, I believe, yesterday when I'm recording this, he uh, put that, he said, hey, everybody, remember when I had this silly post up? So it's it's amazing how we can say things in a moment and, and facts and time have a way of proving or disproving or um, validating or invalidating some of those claims. Here's the thing. Let me remind you, the Word of God lasts forever. I've been encouraged by the reports of some church member. Uh, Dr. Hall was sharing with me a message from uh, the Whiteheads, just saying they've been spending more time in their Bible uh, than they remember in recent days, and it's given them great hope. Well, let me remind you, spend time in the Word of God. In times of uncertainty, go to the source of certainty, which is the Word of God. Well, those are just some cursory comments, some overview comments. Let me give you just some thoughts here that when I was preaching this text on my first Sunday here, I want to mention some things from that sermon, but also to give you some new insight um, into the day we're living in. Um, We're living in an interesting time. This was before the COVID-19 crisis broke out. Listen to this. So this is pre-COVID-19. When optimism is at an all-time low among decision-making adults, a few years ago it was noted for the first time since social statistical analytics have been available to us that a majority of parents did not think that their children were going to do better than they did. And while millennials are increasingly portrayed as hopeful, Their view of marriage and covenant was born out of a generation of boomers and Xers who held a light view of marriage and wanted wide definitions of everything. They are children of broken promises and the loose language of non-committal adults. Unfortunately, there's little distinction between the American culture and the church in too many areas. I wrote that before the COVID-19 outbreak. Think about how uh, society right now would define itself probably as an all-time low of hope. But I've been encouraged in some of the reports I've been seeing. I've been encouraged as we've walked in our neighborhood and seen more people outside. I've still been coming into the office here. This is when it's nice not to be pastoring a megachurch with a thousand people on staff or a hundred or fifty or 20, because we can still come into work and see each other. It's just me and Sally. And then the Faith, Hope, and Love team, which is Christy and Kevin. So it's been encouraging to be together. That's not a criticism of bigger staffs or or how that might change in, uh, in the years ahead. I'm just saying it's been a blessing that we still get to connect to one another, and my heart aches for those of you that don't. But as I've thought about the church, you've heard me say this time and time again. I'll say it 
uh, probably as long as I'm a teacher, you've got to remember, church family, remember the church is not a cultural institution. It's an organism. It's a family. It's a flock. It's a body. It's the bride of Christ. The church is not a club. It's not a volunteer organization, nor is it a service provider. The church is the spiritual authority on earth ordained by Christ himself to officially affirm and give shape to my Christian life and yours. Remember, the church wasn't birthed by culture. She isn't sustained by culture, nor will she be shattered by culture. In fact, she thrives when she is counter-cultural. The lines are not blurred anymore where the church is distinct in her conduct, compassion, and communication. Listen to this statement from Rick Segal. The 350-year marriage of Protestant Christian theology and American popular culture is over. One author writes, As American culture changes, the scandal of Christianity is increasingly right up front, exactly where it was in the first century. The shaking of American culture will get us back to the question Jesus asked his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, Who do you say that I am? And as the Bible Belt recedes, and it is, those left standing up for Jesus will be those who, like Simon Peter of old, filled with the Spirit, know how to answer the question. The church, we've got to offer more than the what would Jesus do moralism of the past and the I vote values populism, which we've grown accustomed to. And that's not a bad thing. For too long, the lines have been blurred between the church and the culture. I'm not suggesting that we ignore the culture. What I'm suggesting is that in this um, age that we live in, before we get too steeped in tradition to the point that it's become an idol, before we stick our head in the sand and bemoan any hint of change in the church or an idealistic America that never really existed, We've got to recognize that doesn't help anything. I'm not suggesting that we go wholeheartedly and embrace all of culture and all that it has to offer. There's a very clear and present danger, and we've seen it play out all too often, that churches become so culturally relevant that they become spiritually irrelevant. But the psalmist here, they are surrounded by things that are hopeless. They're surrounded by forces seen and unseen, and he readily acknowledges that his hope was nestled deeper than what could be seen with the naked eye. I'll take you back to our Hebrews study that we've been doing. We are the people of the faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. I'd encourage you when we're done to read Psalm 43. It finishes with a great stanza of hope, a great, great stanza of hope. Let's look at a few verses here right from the text. My soul thirsts for God, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you. Let's go into Bible study mode, shall we? Not sermon mode. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee here. Hopefully you can't hear too much of that. But as we go into Bible study mode, let me ask you the question, do you pant? Do you pant for God? Does your soul pant for God? Only a soul indwelt by the Spirit of God pants for the living God. Uh, let me turn the text here. John 3.3, 3, you may hear me uh, kind of turning the uh, pages here on my Bible. That's a good thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, chapter 3, 
verse 3, a little verse, Jesus answered and said uh, to Nicodemus, Verily I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Only one who is born again, born from above, only one who knows the living God personally can pant for God. Do you know the Lord? Do you not just know about him, but do you know him personally? Do you long to be with God? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one, for he is understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him or rather for who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We pant, our soul pants for God. More than normalcy, we pant for God. More than our spouses, more than idolizing our families, which we'll touch on easily as we look at the text when we get back into Hebrews 11 with Abraham and Isaac, how easy it is to love the things and even the gifts from God too much. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We long to be in His presence. Can I tell you that when we get distracted so much by what's going on, we can self-isolate to the point that we Even cut off the things that we know are helpful to us. Don't do that. Don't do that. Anchor yourself in the Word of God. Anchor yourself in the community of faith that is Grace Covenant Church, your church family. I say this to covenant members of Grace Covenant and to our regular attenders and even our guests. If you've got a contact number of somebody, call them. Spend time with them. It doesn't have to be a woe is me call. Just call. Check on each other. Share a recipe. Share a thought. Share a verse. Share a meme. Share uh, something funny that happened. There's just so much joy in our church body. Again, I've been encouraged in some things that I've seen in the body and even in our neighborhoods, people out I've never seen outside, kids outside I've never seen outside, putting the screens down and getting outside and enjoying uh, the beauty of God's creation. But it's easy for us to be cast down. The increasing tone of hostility in the public discourse seems to be pointed toward all things Christian. We're, we're easy targets. In fact, when a lot of governors issued um, orders to shut down, it's interesting, they, would, they easily targeted churches first before there was a real need, but they left restaurants and bars open. <laughs> I found that interesting. Um, but one commentator made a statement, which I appreciated and said, but wasn't it good to know that churches are still on the radar as uh, still one of the highest gathering places that people intentionally go to gather? And then they kind of backed up, governors backed up and self-corrected on that. But w- it's easy to fill ourselves as a target because we are sometimes. Uh, why are we cast down? Because we're a little shocked and in all, have, nothing seems settled anymore. Core values seem to be open for debate. And now even society and the things that we know as normal have been shaken loose in a matter of days. Why are we cast down? What are the temptations to be cast down? Because the things we've held into our hands so tightly seem to be slipping like grains of sand. Why are we cast down? Because we're so uncertain about the present, not just the future. The pace of seismic shift in our culture is incredible. News feeds are exhausting today. I wrote that sentence before this week. 
News feeds were exhausting then. They're doubly exhausting now. I went to get the tires changed on the car the other day. They were past due, unfortunately, but I uh, was grateful for the Lord's protection. Not that any of you have ever been in that situation, but uh, went to get the tires changed on uh, the car and the news was on in the thing. And just in the course of about the 45 minutes I was there at the tire place in Kannapolis, uh, the news feed was just exhausting. 45 minutes. And I thought, oh, wow, it's so exhausting. It's easy for life to be unkind. One songwriter wrote, um, life doesn't always seem easy. Uh, Life sometimes has an attitude, but I won't change mine. Um, I can't help but smile when I think of all you've done for me. So many battles you've won for me, all the things you've set me free. I can't help but sing when I realize that you've come for me and one day soon you'll come back for me. I'm just, I'm just encouraged by the word of the Lord today. Why are we cast down? Because we become addicts to the 24-hour news cycle. It fuels our despair and sense of reactionary, the sky is falling mentality, so much so that we can't go for long without discussing it. Bad news is always on the tip of our tongues, but we are supposed to be agents of the gospel, the good news. Oh, We can't stick our heads in the sand and act like nothing's happening. I'm not suggesting that. But we can be agents of hope. We don't let our soul's good cast down. We are the church of the living God. We ought to live differently. We are the flock of the good shepherd. We ought to think differently. We are the general assembly of the firstborn. We ought to respond differently. And we are the bride of Christ. We ought to commit differently. We're the body of Christ. We ought to love differently. We pant for God because of who God is in us. We thirst for God because God is working in us and changing our appetites. Oh, soul, verse 5, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. We are the ones from whom the rivers of living water should be flowing. We ought to sound differently. Of all the key traits that I would readily identify us to those who are around us, what do you think they think would be key? I believe there's a shortage of hope in our culture. I believe that for some time, but I believe now more than ever, you and I, Grace Covenant family, we ought to be agents of hope. I shared that resource on how to love your neighbor. It's a way to infuse hope in your neighborhood, to put that little slip of paper in their door, in their door handle, uh, where they can see it that says, hey, if you need somebody, I'm here. And I know that some of you are limited and you can't get out. I'm thinking of some of you that, that physically aren't able to help or financially aren't able to go and do something. You're, you're restricted in that way, but you can pray, you can call, you can be a voice that they can talk to. And that was one of the checkboxes. Here are the things that I'm in a position to do to help you. Please, please, 
Let me help you. We ought to be agents of hope. Don't be cast down. Fear and hope don't live on the same street. And perfect love casts out fear. Now, it's right for us to be afraid of the coronavirus. It's right for us to be afraid to step into moving traffic. Those are healthy fears. It's right for us to have a healthy fear, a holy reverence of God, and a healthy concern for those around us. But we are not in the grip of fear, friend. We have been gripped by love. And when we are squeezed by love, hope is what comes out of us. When my soul is cast down within me, verse 6, we remember the Lord. We remember how He helped us. The psalmist is remembering from Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls unto deep. He washes over us, verse 7. Oh, At the roar of your waterfalls, remember God has poured out His love on us, not with an eyedropper, but imagine yourself standing at the base of Niagara Falls, receiving, trying to hold on to God's love, my word. Brother, sister, be overwhelmed today by the love of God. Let me just mention a few things that I think could cause us to lose hope if we're not careful. It perfectly describes the emotional and spiritual state of those who lack hope. If you are gripped by fear, if you're anchored in fear, I think you're going to be experiencing despair. Job, in total despair, cried out in Job 17, where is my hope? Who will see my hope? Hope deferred, Proverbs says, makes the heart sick, not just the body, but a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. 2 Corinthians 1.8, we were so utterly burdened, Paul writes, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. When we're gripped by fear, we are gripped with despair. When we're gripped by fear, we will believe the lie that we have been abandoned by God. Lamentations 3.8, Jeremiah would write, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. It's okay to get upset. It's okay to be at a low point. It's okay to cry out unto God and it's okay to let God know that you are tempted with despair, that you are tempted to believe the lie. But can I just tell you, anchor yourself in hope. You might, like this psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse 9, say, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? People will say, where is your God? People will say, just to one of our members on Facebook, oh, where's your faith? What they're, they're not saying, where's your faith? They're saying, where's your God? And we say, he's where he's always been, and our faith is in him, and we're going to be people and agents of hope. If you're gripped by fear, if you're not careful, you'll have a deep longing for life to end, or you'll be gripped with what I call even eschatological escapism. Ooh, you like that? Mm, That's a nice, funky church word. As judgment is being poured out on the earth, John the Revelator writes in Revelation 9, 6, and the earth is going through its final purification right before days of God refining the earth by fire. It becomes evident that there's no hope for those who have actively rejected the Lord while His Holy Spirit was present. And John says this, in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. It's possible to be so gripped by fear, so overwhelmed, so deceived in that moment that we can think, well, we just got to get out of here. 
we can spiritualize this and say, well, I, 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 I'm just waiting on the rapture. I, I'm just waiting for God to blow the trumpet so we can get out of here. Yes, that's a truth. He is coming back for a church that's looking for him. We have that hope. I'll touch on that in a moment. But, but don't look to escapism. Be used. Be the body. Be agents of hope, ambassadors for hope while we're here. Maybe pessimism is what you're gripped with. The world seems meaningless. Pleasures are empty. The pursuit of wisdom feels pointless. And uh, life is always miserable. Fear can cause us to have these things. Despair, a sense of being abandoned, a longing to get out, pessimism. But let me remind you this morning, we have five foundations of hope. Don't be cast down. Don't have turmoil within you. Hope in God. Praise Him again in these moments. He is your salvation and your God. Let me remind you that we have a hope that is sure in the God Our Father, it's unchanging. He has unchanging love and power. Let me say that again. We have a hope that is sure in God the Father and His unchanging love and power. We don't fear man's influence or power. That's temporary. The psalmist said in Psalm 9, 1 and 2, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing your praise to your name, O Most High. Verse 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, and a stronghold, oh brother, sister, I'm fighting back tears, in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Oh dear friend. This is an Old Testament promise for the presence of the Lord, an Old Testament rejoicing from the psalmist. We have the New Testament reality of the Holy Spirit in us and with us, a New Testament reality of the church of the living God. Have hope. Don't be cast down. Have hope in God. Oh, the second thing I would tell us that we have hope in, we have hope that is sure in the Word of God, which is forever settled in heaven. We don't have to be uh, afraid of the shifting news. Remember, the reports from a week ago are outdated. The reports from a couple of days ago were outdated. I heard in an interview with the president, somebody said, do you still think that people are listening to you from four or five days ago? And and I thought, what a terrible question of any president in a crisis that's moving where revel- uh, information and, and revelations are happening as we move along. Uh, we've got to we've got to stay attuned to the latest news, and let me tell you, nothing's more relevant and nothing more unchanging than the Word of God. Isaiah forty verses six through eight, he says, "Cry," the voice says, "What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. Get into the Word so the Word can get into you. So we have hope in the Father and His unchanging love. We have hope in the Word because it's forever settled. We have a hope that affects our present reality. Proverbs ten twenty eight: the hope of the righteous brings joy. But the expectation of the wicked will perish. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Oh, I hope your hope in Christ is for more than heaven. I hope it's for here and now. We are of the faith. That means we're part of the global church. 
We are in the family. That means God has called us into the local church, and that affects our hope quotient, if you will. Two more little points on hope, okay? Hang with me. Two more little points on hope. We have hope that is sure that there is a future glory. I don't want to downplay heaven. There is a future glory coming. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, Romans 8 says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8.24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We don't fear tomorrow. We have hope that is sure that there is a future glory. So we have hope in the Father because of His unchanging love. We have hope in the Word of God. It's forever settled. We have hope that affects us right now because we are of the faith and in the church. We have hope in a future glory. And finally, we have a sure hope that Christ will return as He promised. We may not know what's coming tomorrow, but we know who is coming soon. We have this blessed hope, the Bible says, the waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Read about it in 1 Peter 1 and in Titus 2. What a powerful reminder that we are people of hope. The church has the market cornered on hope, not because of triumphalism or because we're going to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, church family, but because the hope that we have is in the Lord. Oh, soul, why are you cast down? Resist that. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Listen, things are bad, but God is good. It's not the mere feeling or expectation and desire for a certain thing. This is a genuine payout on a promise. That's what our hope is. Our hope, the foundations of our hope are blessings. The foundations of our hope are alive. The foundations of our hope bring purity. The foundations of our hope are active. They're connected to the fountainhead from which the springs of living water flow because they are anchored in the person, the power, and the presence of the God of this Bible. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. In spite of the winds of this world, we are a people of hope. In spite of the devices of the enemy to discourage us, to distract us, and even destroy our testimony and influence, we are a people of hope, not because of our righteousness, but in Christ's alone, we are a people of hope. And because of God and His redemptive acts, as they culminate in the birth, sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are a people of hope. Let's be agents of hope to those around us. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Church family, this is the word of the Lord. Be encouraged and be an encourager as an agent of hope.